coming to you from the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains, Denver, Colorado. It's the Savage Cast, a Savage Worlds podcast brought to you by the Rocky Mountain Savages. Here are your hosts, Chris Savage Mummy Fox and Christopher Savage Bull Landauer. Savages! Hey everyone, welcome to Savage Cast. I'm the Savage Mommy. And I'm the Savage Bull. And this is episode 16 Gosh, of they, the they, Savage Cast. They haven't kicked us off yet. It's kind of amazing we're still around. We've made it to 16. We've laid the uh, first year to rest. We're beginning year two so of is this the our Savage Cast. Sweet 16 party. Oh, nice. Our quinceanera. That's right. And uh, we have, for our Sweet 16 party, a guest. Before we get to uh, our excellent guest, David Garrett, let's talk about news you can use from around the world in these Savage Arenas. Savage's News! Yeah, so the the first thing is, uh, if you guys aren't aware, uh, Happy Jack's RPG podcast is actually live streaming a Savage Rifts game. You can go to their site. It's happyjacksrpg.org, and you can find that there. You just missed episode one, I believe, on January 23rd. So they have an episode zero. And that's character creation, and they have episode one. So if you're interested, go to their Twitch feed, their website, and you can watch them live stream Savage Rifts. Another cool happening in the uh, role-playing sphere is Arknight has come out with um, version two of their flat plastic miniatures. Flat plastic miniatures one were awesome. And um, so if you guys are interested in some uh, very cool gaming tools that are system agnostic, check out Kickstarter for Arknight plastic miniatures numero dos. Yeah, they have uh, all kinds of, I, I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but I know I saw cyberpunk on there. I saw demons on there. I saw, so it's not just like all fantasy. It's a bunch of different minis. And basically what they are, if you haven't seen them is plastic minis on like what's the overhead projector yes yeah, kind of cellophane, like cellophane clear, clear yeah. whatever yeah and they're full color so they're they're really really cool to look at um something else coming up chris and i've talked about this a lot uh for you folks in colorado or anybody who wants to come out to Genghis. uh we have a panel that we are going to be doing at Genghis Khan on Savage Worlds Game Mastering. By Shane Hensley himself. Uh, yeah, actually, uh, we're calling it Savage Worlds Game Mastering, Raising the Bar. Uh, it's going to be myself and three or two Rocky Mountain Savages, and then also Norm Hensley. No relation. No relation is coming out. Shane is actually bringing him out to Genghis Khan. And so we're going to have a panel. If you want to come out to Genghis Khan, you can sign up for that. And if you're not able to make it out to Genghis Khan, we will have uh, either a recording. Well, we will have a recording of the panel along with um, all of the uh, visuals that we're going to have for this. And there is talk of actually trying to record this and make a video available afterwards. Don't nice. know. Don't know about that yet. But we're gonna we're gonna give that a try. I was worried when you said that there was gonna be a recording or something. I was like, well, what's it gonna be? A stone tablet that's gonna be carved out, and of course it has to be recording. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what, what are the other options? The, the other the, options. This is a very troublesome or. <laughs> um, and I think the only other thing that I saw that I really kind of thought was somewhat uh, newsworthy on RPG Now. They have a featured product on RPG Now called the Evolution of Fantasy Role Playing Games, and it is by McFarland. 
and it just it talks all about the ta uh, origins, uh, basically from tabletop war and collectible card games to contemporary web-based live action MMOs, and just talks about the fantasy genre in general and people who play the fantasy genre. So that might be something interesting. We'll make sure we put that into the show notes if anyone's interested in going and looking at that. And, uh, you know, throw Savage Cast a couple pennies. Yes, give us your money. Our theme for today's show, we'll get right into it, is metagaming. And not the kind of metagaming you'd normally think about, uh, you know, the problem that comes around the table, but we're looking at three different topics of how to add another layer to your games at the role-playing table. Joining us today is a special guest from right here in Colorado, a new friend of the Rocky Mountain Savages, David Garrett. Say hi, David. Hello. How's it going, guys? Welcome to the show. So uh, for those of, uh, of us who don't know who you are, give us a little background on how you got into gaming, how you found Savage Worlds, and all that good stuff. I'm in my 40s, and I started playing Dungeons and Dragons back in the you know grade school and everything and uh, remember when Advanced Dungeons and Dragons came out and kind of just stayed with it over the years. There was a time when I was uh, I, I love Robert E. Howard and all of the Conan and Solomon uh, Kane stories and Brand McMorn and all that stuff. So I was in uh, the game store one day and saw the Savage Worlds uh, Solomon Kane books. And it was just like, I just got to have these because they're cool and have cool artwork all throughout them. So I bought that and started delving into the rules. And, man, I was hooked after that. I just uh, thought Savage Worlds was just a total, like, Robert E. Howard. You know, like, if I had my uh, perfect game GM of players, he would be one of them. Robert E. Howard would be at the table. I think he'd be a cool player to have there. Oh, gosh, that'd be a great uh, theme for an episode. Like, you're, you're the best GMs through history you wish would resurrect and come run a game write for you. The, write that down. Thank you, David. You gave us an episode idea. <laughs> doing my part. Doing my part, guys. And once I got into Savage World, um, there was a time when I tried to, get, you know, all the hubbub about 5th edition D&D coming out. And I kind of checked that out. But, man, once you have gone Savage, it's hard to go back to... You I know, completely agree with that. <laughs> I do play some. I do play Five E, uh, but Chris and I have talked about this before in the past. I play Five E, but in my mind, I'm always thinking Savage Worlds. Uh, yeah, it's like language fluency. It's like you know, you, you, you know so when, you're, when you're not perfectly fluent in another language, and you still dream in your native language, and you're kind of always translating things. It's like I found the same thing playing other systems. Like, well, I'm translating this into Savage Worlds. Yeah. And, oh man. <laughs> Why, why, why don't dice explode? Why can't I spend a Benny to, to re-roll this? Yeah, it's like the one thing I, I think every time I've, I've tried, tried to go back to just GURPS, it's like, wait a minute, I have to accept every single dice roll? This is very sad. So I think to start out, because we have, like again, three kind of topics that we want to talk about. Uh, so the the first topic, I think let's uh, let's have David kind of throw out his elevator pitch and tell us a little bit about what you're doing, and then Chris and I, I think, have some questions for you uh, regarding that. Sure, sure. Well, um, so another part of my background is is writing horror, and uh, I've 
put out a couple of books of short stories that have been published in various places over the years. And uh, so kind of the, the meat of it comes from that horror background. But uh, I got the idea from a few different places. Um, one was uh, reading the book Ready Player One. So I don't know if you've ever read Great that Great book. book. Looking forward to the movie. Yeah. Much better, yeah. much better audio book. Will Wheaton does a great job reading that. So if anybody Will needs to do Wheaton. that, go get the audio book and listen to Will Wheaton read it. Yeah. So um, that that really was fueling my imagination. And at the same time, I introduced my little uh, boys to uh, uh, the movie Avatar. And so I was kind of already thinking of like um, the different levels of reality. Uh, you know, with virtual reality and then mapping onto that what's really going on and how we interact with stories, which is, you know, one of the interests of mine. And, you know, whether it's movies, TVs, video games, role-playing games, you know, all these different things are, are really just different levels of reality that you're accessing through, you know, your story through different levels of reality. And so I was, I was thinking about that. It would be cool to have... Um, some level of metagame attached onto your game. And then when I started talking to Chris Landauer, man, we had hours of conversations about this stuff. It was just, it's so ripe with, uh, I think, directions to go in gaming right now. And so anyway, I came up with the idea of uh, introducing uh, competition. And I know that that gets a lot of flack with, role, you know, tabletop RPG gamers that, you know, I, I do it for fun. I don't do it for the competition. But I think I did it. I try to do it in such a way where competition is kind of loosely, you know, used. It's more about, um, I, I guess, in Savage Worlds terms, it's like, what is the best character creation that you could possibly do? Or what is a good strategy to access that character creation? Is it better to. Um, put a lot of my uh, character creation points into boost and bigger? Is it best to put it into boost in my agility since that's tied to a lot of combat skills? So it's kind of more of that. As me personally as a gamer, how can I tap into that and see what different people do to create better characters and how does that relate to actual gameplay? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So the uh, I, I do find it funny. Like I know there's 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 some flack in general about you know oh this is role playing. It's cooperative. It's communal. It's there's nothing, nothing competitive. But I do also think there's room for this in the hobby. And I know if you consider. Um, say D and D and Pathfinder, they both have living campaign settings. And in a lot of ways, those do bring out competitive nature in people and people do play them competitively. Um, this is, um, a little bit different than that. Um, your idea. Yeah. There is actually also something at Gen Con called, uh, NASCRAG, NASCRAG, I think it's called N-A-S-C-R-A-G and it is competitive role-playing. Uh, I had a, a friend of ours, uh, he played in it. Uh, last year at Gen Con, he didn't make it to the finals. He made it to the semifinals, but it's competitive role playing. Yeah, it's kind of a cool concept. And I, I think it's it's I mean both for role playing in general and for the systems you're 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 attempting to to do this with. I think um, bringing kind of a competitive edge or a meta game to them helps flesh out kind of the either errors in the systems or problems with the systems or lopsidedness. I mean, you can kind of you know if you if you wanted to really play test a game. 
you know, the, the more loosey goosey your, 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 your gaming philosophy and gaming style is the less you're actually putting any kind of system to the test. So if you're doing kind of a modern storytelling kind of game, unless you really get to the point where you try to break it or you try to push it to, um, really being tested, you know, almost all systems will look the same because if your system is just a, a brief kind of thin veneer to talk to other people in the same room together, any kind of vehicle to talk to other people in the room together, you know, will hold up to that. Um, but you know, actual play testing is kind of like how you test computer programs. I mean, you have to go to the cases, the extreme cases, the cases where, you know, people do things you weren't expecting. So, you know, if you if you're if you have a program that says you know there's an input for how many kids do you have and you don't test for when someone puts in dog or negative two or you know purple um, you know your your program might crash then even if it wasn't designed yeah you know, that that field you didn't think that people were gonna you know put dog in for how many kids they have um, and you were just thinking you know integers between you know zero and ten or whatever um, I, I think the and, and this obviously isn't isn't designed to to destroy savage worlds it's actually designed to kind of how can you have fun in a competitive um, yeah. multi-session no, game? No, so, you're, no. so here, here's exactly what, what you just said, kind of. Uh, well, let me give you the kind of the pitch on it and uh, explain how what you just said totally applies. So anyway, the idea that I came up with is that you're going to be playing two levels. You're going to be playing Savage Worlds where you're playing your character but you're also playing uh, a contestant in a game that's just like uh, Ready Player One. So you're tapping into virtual reality, and you're kind of making two characters, in a sense, your own persona in the virtual reality gamer world. But then you're, when you actually play a level of the game, you're actually playing Savage Worlds, and you want your character to do well. And that you get scored on how well your character does. So, but the theme of this uh, tournament for this particular, uh, you know, the first iteration of it that I did, like I said, was a horror theme. So in a good horror, you know, whether it's TV show or movie or video game or role-playing game, you kind of want your heroes to be a little bit flawed, right? It, you're tapping into, like, sanity rules and fear and how is the character hindered? Because, uh, you know, in a lot of slasher films, there's a lot of people that get killed off before the hero emerges. Oh, yeah, and a now, lot I'm of them are, are, are kind of like a, a morality play to start. You know, the, the people in a lot, of, a lot of those genres, the people who get killed first have a reason that they get killed first, and it kind of reflects either a commentary on or actual, you know, mor mores of the society. I say, isn't, so. it, isn't it normally teenagers who are doing things they shouldn't be doing? <laughs> exactly. That's right. And you know that uh, the horror companion taps into that as well. Some of the hindrances are like, like for example, one of them is victim. And all things being equal, whoever has the victim hindrance is going to get targeted. You know, if there's no clear reason why the bad guy or monster is going to attack any particular person in the party, well, the GM just goes ahead and picks the person with the victim hindrance because that's what it says, is that they get targeted easily. So it sucks for them, but that's the hindrance that you play. Right. And so so in this, in this what I did was I tried to make um, where everybody has to play a flawed attribute as they progress through the tournament. And so, for example, you might have like... Uh, at a particular level, you're playing a person who has very weak in their agility. 
Well, of course, that's going to affect how uh, much damage or how good at fighting you can do. Not damage, but how effective you are at string fighting or throwing. So if you're weakened in that, what do you do as a strategy in Savage Worlds to overcome that low agility? So that's where the strategy comes in to how you're going to create a character that can overcome a weakness and one agility. So, so it really gets into like the metagame is really just adds another level of strategy onto your game that you have to think through and figure out how you're going to handle that. So, okay, so I, I, yeah. I, have, I have two questions for you. Kind of, I don't, okay. I don't know if this is the right spot to ask, but I'm going to ask them anyway. So, one, is this something that as a player in this, you'll be creating your own character, or is this you'll be running a pre gen? that somebody's already created with these flaws and things like that? Okay, so um, the way I laid it out was you can either do a one-shot where, like, I've already created a bunch of characters using the rules of, like, the flaws that I'm talking about. So I've been playtesting with the characters that I've created, and I'd like to try to roll it out at uh, Tacticon uh, this year and have a table where I'm running it so people can uh, kind of get an idea. But you could also do it where you make up your own character. You know, at a con, a lot of times you just show up and the characters are created for you, so you don't have to spend that time, right? you know, making the characters. So I, I think what I'd like to try to do is create, some, you know, characters that everybody could just use that are kind of pre-gened, but... Definitely, you can make your own character, but you have to do it within the restrictions that are laid out in the rules. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I can tell you that uh, bringing this to Tacticon, uh, we'll we'll make it happen. You will have a table at Tacticon. So you talked a little <laughs> bit. About, you talked a little bit about scoring. So can you tell us a little bit about how that's going to work and what that would look like at a, at the table? And what I found in playtesting, which I didn't expect that, what Chris explained, I totally didn't expect it, but. From playtesting, it's actually turned into um, a pretty fun way to for players to realize that, oh man, these are all the cool things that Savage Worlds does. So, so the point system that I just tried to roll out and use are play off of all the cool things that you can do with Savage Worlds. So like, for example, you get, you get points for drawing a wild card on the action cards. You get points for uh, acing your wild die. You lose points for rolling a one on your trait die. Um, you get points for incapacitating an extra or a wild card. Wild cards are worth more than an extra. But I also included in there that you get even more points if you incapacitate an extra or wild card in a spectacular fashion. Dun, dun, dun. So I went, I, Use it, doing it in spectacular fashion, you either get, uh, on your damage, three or more raises, which, you know, immediately just annihilates most extras right off the bat. And uh, so the player gets to describe how, you know, like, for example, on one level where they're fighting zombies, um, I had a player who had a phobia of gore. But they also rolled and then kept acing their rolls and got, like, over three raises on the damage. So they had to describe how swinging a Louisville slugger against the zombie's head created all this spray of gore. 
But then they had to make a roll to see if their phobia kicked in and they got fatigued from it. So I'm so awesome. I, I just disgusted myself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like I didn't mean to hit them that hard, but I hit them so hard that their head exploded, and now I'm fatigued because I'm over here nauseous and puking while the fight's going on. You know, man, so, that, that reminds me of a, of a scene that actually happened in what. Um, a similar kind of thing. It was it was a more of a competitive one shot that we were playing in GURPS at the time, and it was a um, it was like a Halloween game, and and the the GM, um, this guy named Matt Denno, he always runs really hilarious one shot uh, Halloween and, and Christmas games, um, and this one was a uh, hoedown, and uh, it was it was using the new martial arts rules that came down, and so. My character during this this hoedown ballroom brawl was like the banjo player who was up on stage. And might have fun in them jeans, boy. Exactly. <laughs> so the to take advantage of the new martial arts rules, he did a rapid attack, double attack, boot to the head of some roadie who was trying to climb up on the stage. Well, like you said, David, just in this in this example, the dice just went insane on this roll. I mean, it was like a critical hit on the roll and then the damage roll was like, you know, near maximum. And it was like, how do you explain that, you know, you're just trying to kick a guy off the stage politely to start the combat uh, and you end up like exploding his head all over the the first three rows of the crowd, right? And so that's exactly how that devolved. I had to, you know, he maybe take some fear rolls and, you know, I disgusted myself with the amount of, you know, brains and putrescence I ended up with on my boots. Um, But yeah, I mean, that that was kind of a, of a, you know, uh, Savage Worlds can definitely accomplish the very same kind of quality, even more so because you have exploding dice. And um, so, yeah, that is a fun thing to capture in the, the mechanisms of your, your metagame. So I have another question for you. Yeah. Okay, right. go ahead. So, yeah, I, I just keep on with the question. Uh, so this question, this one, how have you found the bookkeeping at the table that because you, you said you've done a couple play tests so um if, yeah, I, if yeah. i'm a gm so and i'm brand new at this am i gonna have to do a ton right. of bookkeeping at the table and how hard yeah. is that so this was my biggest worry was this gonna come become a, an accounting nightmare so i didn't want to introduce too many points where you get points for every little thing that happens and i also wanted to have it where you encourage um uh, like uh people having to not just uh, screw over the other players to earn points, but some of the points are awarded for, like, role-playing well and earning bennies for role-playing. You get points for that. And also just being altruistic, like, you get points for healing another character but not yourself. So oh, interesting. Is, you know, I tried to introduce some level of where you have to kind of encourage cooperative play and not lose that. But uh, so what I found was really interesting with this was it kind of naturally fell into a, a place where when it's your turn, as you go through your action or actions and roll your dice, the GM is kind of announcing every time you do you know something really cool happens that you get points for that. And so kind of at the end of your turn, you just sit down and put tick marks by all the cool things that you know you just got points for, or the bad things that you just lost a few points for, and then it's the next person's turn. So it kind of you know it's kind of cooperative between the GM and the player, but the player is really responsible for 
writing down what the GM, you know, validates that they get points for. And it really just turns into a natural process of at the end of their action, they annotate and then go on to the next person. Yeah, and I can see that that sounds really interesting because that would also keep everyone's focus more on the game. You know, yeah, because if, if, if you're dealing with... with... Go ahead. You're right. No, no, you're exactly right. It kind of kept everybody engaged into the actual roles that people were making. And, the G- you know, I was sitting there announcing, oh, you drew a joker. You go first, buddy, and you get points for that. And they're like, yes. And and I, I also threw in the rule uh, where joker's wild, where everybody gets uh, a Benny. So it's kind of like a celebration that that person, even though they're getting four points for the joker, everybody's getting points for getting bennies because part of it is at the end of the overall session, you also get to cash in any leftover bennies for extra points. Oh, nice. And, yeah. yeah, so uh, it, it, you don't want to completely cut people off from spending their bennies, but you kind of want to make them think, okay, is this worth the points I could get spending this benny, or is it you know, better for me to just save the bennies, and it, this really isn't that important that I re-roll this right now. Um, so, I mean, it was, it was, it, it, I was pleasantly surprised, but I, I, you know, there were some problems I made tweaks to as well. I won't lie and say that it was all, you know, sunshine and roses. Yeah. So just, you know, work work in progress. Exactly. And I've had, you know, I, I shared it with, uh, Christopher Landauer and we talked a lot about it on the phone and everything. And he was very helpful and, uh, you know, asking some of these questions and fleshing out some of it and making me think, like, maybe that's a dumb idea. And then I also... I make people feel dumb. Now, are you coming up to Genghis? Yeah, I'll be at Genghis, and uh, I signed up to play in one of Ed Wetterman's uh, games, which I'm totally stoked about because, you know, like I said, I love horror and stuff like that. So uh, that'll just be cool sitting in one of his games and... uh, uh, but I'll be at Genghis. Well, what you need to do is you need to make sure you find Chris and I, and we will introduce you to Shane. I definitely will do that. We have connections. Definitely. We know people. We yeah. know we know people. So yeah, we can. We'll we'll uh, we'll, we'll uh, what we'll do is we'll we'll get uh, Shane and we'll go to the bar one night and uh, we'll we'll have some beers and uh, we'll talk about it. Sounds like a plan, guys. Yeah. So give us some contact info you. real quick, if you would. Okay, yeah, you can email me at davidgarrett69 at gmail.com. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Well, great. So, yeah, we'll uh, we'd love to keep you on. And, uh, you know, we got two more quick topics. Uh, We're we're at about uh, 30 minutes right now, so we'll kind of get through these topics. So uh, the next topic uh, that I wanted to talk about is I wanted to talk about something that – it's a sensitive subject. Happens to guys every it, it now and then. Happens to guys, but also in role playing, it can happen to uh, it can happen to any role player. And uh, what this is is this is uh, what uh, they call premature imagination. Uh, this was a blog post. It's quite uh, old. It's from 2010. It was written by back in the old old days, uh, the long long ago. Yeah, written by somebody <laughs> called Runeslinger. Uh, on a blog called Casting Shadows, so you can still go out and find that. We'll link to it. So what this what this talks about is the pro- well, I don't know, I don't know if I want to say problem, but the the thing that happens in role playing where um, let me give you an example. So uh, so David and, and Chris are players, and I'm the GM, and you guys are going up. We'll just use fantasy. Uh, you guys are going up against uh, a bunch of orcs. And you go and you roll your dice 
And you already have in your head, and you might have even said this, you might have said to the GM, I run up and I swing my, my great sword at, at the orc and I cleave him from, from shoulder to waist. And then you roll the dice and you miss. And all of a sudden, you're completely out of it now because you in your head, you had that premature imagination and you pictured what was going to happen before it actually happened. Yes. And that's the, that's the, so that's the thing is the dividing up the temporally in, in how you play what you're aiming to accomplish in your head and what the dice say happen. And, uh, and the problem comes in is when you, when you have already in your head, the idea of what, what you want to do and you, you make that a fulfillment. You, you, you go from idea and concept, like, you know, and you have to do this in savage worlds where you have to announce multiple actions at the start of your turn. Right. I mean, you, you can't, um, you know, roll to see if you successfully jump on the sway and on the ladder before, you know, you decide whether you want to do two or three more things after that. Right. Um, so in, in the sense of you have an idea of what you want to accomplish and the, you know, the optimal scenario, uh, but then the dice lets you down and how do you deal with that? How do you not right. become you disappointed? Can, you can even uh, say, and, and that you bring up a great point about, uh, you know, everything has to be up front for multiple actions. You can certainly, like you said, say, this is what I want to have happen. I think the key to this is really simple. You, you, you come up with, you say, this is what I'm going to do. And you, don't, you may not even describe it completely. I want to do a trick and I want to do an attack. Uh, and the trick is going to be X. And what you can do at that point then is roll the dice, find out what's the outcome of the dice, and then narrate what happens after the dice have been rolled and you have a total. To me, easiest a, way to fix it. I, you know, I was I ran into this exact same thing when I was running the last parsec, and uh, so the two guys. This is the first session we ever had. And two of the guys in the group had never really played Savage Worlds a lot. Right? They were kind of familiar with some of the rules, but had never really sat down and played. Well, right off the bat, one of the things we had to do was jump over a, a large chasm, right? I mean, it wasn't beyond doing, but it still required an agility roll. And it just so happened that three of the players, one just did it without a raise, one did it with a raise, and then one did it with, like, two raises. And I thought that was a perfect way to narrate the differences. I was like, all right, the first guy, you ran and jumped, and you barely caught the edge and pulled yourself up. The second guy goes, runs, and jumps, and he makes it easily. But the third guy shows off a little bit. He runs and jumps and does a neat roll and jumps up into a fighting position. <laughs> So, you know, that narration came after the role. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I think that's a great idea because it sounds like now, did you narrate that or did the players narrate that? You know, I did, but I, I should have let them. But like I said, they were kind of new to the system. And sure. so trying to trying to teach them the differences and what just a, a, a success versus a success with raises means in Savage Worlds is it's right there, I think, encapsulated in that. You know, you if you get a certain number of raises, well, man, explain it, and you did really good. So, throw, you know, ad-lib it and throw in a bunch of crazy 
you know, cool stuff that makes everybody really feel that rage, you know? And I think having you describe it at that point is perfectly fine and works great, especially with new players or players who maybe they're not that good at describing. You look at them and they have this deer in the headlights look and they look at you and you can you can look at them in the back of their mind. They're just thinking, God damn you, I don't want to have to describe this. I'm <laughs> role playing. I'm rolling dice and seeing what happens. So you describe it to me. But after a little while, you know, you can then turn that back on the players who are comfortable with it, like you said, and have them narrate it. So I think our, our big, I mean, the biggest key here is don't narrate it until the dice are done rolling and you know the outcome. Yeah, well, I, I think that's why maybe the the GMs are better at, at, or the GM narration attempts to solve this problem because the GM doesn't have an expectation for how the dice come out. And so they you know, naturally won't narrate until they see the, the results of the rolls. Whereas, you know, the problem with premature imagination is that you are, you know, as in the corollary real to real world, um, different situational premature issue. You're trying to reach the end before you enjoy the process. You know, the your, your the expectation is is being put forth in your mind versus living in the moment. You know, and seeing where the dice take you. Um, and obviously, GM narration helps that because the GM doesn't have the expectation. They're the they're the professional at the table who is trying to guide the players to a conclusion. And um, obviously, you've already thought a lot about the setup for the, the the scenario and then how it might conclude. But you know, the actual details of of, of you know, individual roles aren't as um, high on expectation as they were for a player. And um, so maybe it's enough to, to just remind your players at the beginning, like you know. Um, Roll dice then describe versus right, describing yeah. roll dice and um, or um, I for new players I often just say tell me what you want to do and I'll help you you know with the system on how to get there. I, I was about to say that do, collaborate collaborate with the player. So if you know if they roll the dice and you know they have an idea, you have an idea. Collaborate with them on what happens if it's a success or if it's a failure. Yeah, and, 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 and there are wrong answers to the question, tell me what you want to do. If they answer, well, I want to be the hero and kill the monster, well, that's obvious. I mean, that's, but it's, you know, for this initial role, we can't care, you know, success in this role doesn't mean you necessarily kill the monster. So, right. you know, let's speak in terms of actions versus um, conclusions that, you know, we're, you know so, so t tell me, do you want to swing from the rope and then try to attack? Or do you want to, you know, again, ask them for actions versus, well, I just want to end this monster this round. Because the, if you just speak in actions, the the idea of the the big finale, the big kill or the, the conclusion, um, if you take that off the table as being the success or failure um, and bring it down to actions you're going to do immediately in this round, the next, you know, three to six seconds or whatever, however you're defining your rounds, um, can kind of shy away from dealing with the expectation of winning right now. And then if you don't kill the monster, you've somehow lost because Savage Worlds doesn't do what other systems do by rewarding, you know, points to the person who gets the final blow um, or things like that, where there's a, a definite benefit um, mechanically as well as narratively. So, you know, th think of, 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 of enforcing the narration aspect of, of what's what you're attempting to do. And if, if they fail, Allow them to describe how they fail, and it, it, even if they succeed, and you know, if you do have a player who doesn't doesn't look like you, doesn't look at you with the you know deer in the headlight eyes, um, I often throw people advantages. I mean, if they give me a spectacular explanation, even even if it's just a simple success, I mean, I'll give bonuses if they're spectacular and how they describe it. And I just thought about something too: if you do, if you fail 
and you describe this failure, this spectacular failure, how about giving the person a Benny? Absolutely. You get a Benny because yeah. you narrated this spectacular failure. I th- yeah. Hey, I, I, here's a question. How do you handle um, whenever somebody does a, a trait test, right, and they get a one on their trait die, but then they ace their wild die, do you make that a success? Um but with a penalty following, or do you, I mean, it, it's because there are a lot of rules in Savage Worlds where if you fail the, tra- the trait die, regardless of the wild die, bad things happen. But what if you ace your wild die and do really good on your wild die? That's a good question. Yeah, it's almost um, probably setting specific. I mean, I'm sure, in, and I don't think core makes a distinction, but a lot of settings do, you know, when they do. Uh, critical failures. Um, it, it's a good question. I mean, maybe um, there's another topic. Yeah, we'll research that. <laughs> we'll research that and talk about that next episode. Because that, yeah, that brings I mean, up that's I, a really good, really good point. I don't, I don't really know because that's it, very it true. Always, it doesn't always apply, but a lot of times it does. And so, what I've kind of fell into a, a thing of doing is, well, you succeeded for now, but there's going to be a penalty. Like maybe you you got the round off, but you're gun jammed. So next next turn, you're going to be uh, spending your action to get rid the jam out of your weapon. But you succeeded for now, so hopefully your success is going to buy you some time while you fix the problem. Yeah, so I like I, that. I don't know. If if people have ideas about that, or or if people have uh, things that they do, they know they you know they know the rules really well. Uh, post that to our uh, Facebook page. Post it to our G Plus uh, page, and uh, that might be something that we can we can discuss uh, in more detail. I think that's a really good point. So, anything else on this? Because I have one more thing about this, and then if we want, we can move on to the next topic. Yeah, sure. Okay, so. I think the most important thing out of this whole thing is if for some reason you have premature imagination for more than four hours, go see your doctor. True. (laughs) (laughs) Get your dice checked. Yeah, yeah, get your dice checked. Uh, Maybe you need some new dice uh, and uh, because you don't want to have this for that long. So um, our final topic for uh, this show, I'm going to let Chris talk about this. We talked about this uh, a while back and – you may uh, have me be quiet for a little while because uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some movies and, and ideas around campaigns uh, that uh, I'm not real. I haven't seen the two movies that Chris is going to mention. So I'm going to he's going to take the lead on this and uh, I'll, I'll chime in when I can. Yeah, well, sure. So it's a related topic. Um, you know, and you know, David's come up with a system that it's a, a meta game that is a you know, tournament style where you've got you know the potential for. You know, two levels of characters. Your 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 real world level one character who is going to participate in this in this tournament, and then they they go into the tournament and they're having avatars that it could be in multiple different worlds. You know, whether it's a um, yeah fantasy or horror or whatever. You know, they they have their own avatars, and you can end up playing both. Um, and a, a very different form of metagaming that I'm actually working on currently with my kind of Renaissance medieval reconquista system is is thinking about how to both play 
on a character level, but also like on a nation state level. Like how can your characters um, have kind of a, um, other systems have, have done this like birthright or some other systems like that's like a, a kind of meta gaming. Well, um, keeping it simple and keeping it relevant to kind of the two topics we've, we've already covered is how can you meta game and bring kind of interest to either one shots or home campaigns by um, riffing off of concepts like Inception or Westworld or Ready Player One or The Matrix or Assassin's Creed. Um, and in a way, all of those properties in some respects have uh, introduced a different level of gaming. And um, and so I was thinking that the, uh, you know, uh, an interesting one, kind of the Westworld Matrix idea um, is – you can you can bring this to any campaign you're currently running is that you suddenly introduce a profoundly different reality to your players, and that you know that the campaign you've currently been running is in fact um, you know matrix style uh, a simulation, and you are actually a physical being in an entirely different dimension, um, and that everything you've done so far has been in your mind or been a cooperative dream like Inception, um, or like in Westworld where. Uh, suddenly, you know, you, you could seriously be playing a game of Deadlands, and then suddenly realize that you, in fact, are constructs who yeah, are. Are you programmed. a host or are you a guest? Exactly. There we go. See, Chris, ain't, he ain't that far behind on the modern stuff. So, the uh, <laughs> so yeah. So, David, if you want to chime in on on ways in which you can basically, you know, add some spice to your current games by adding a whole other level of reality um, to one shots. It's like, uh, you know, 2112 by Rush, where at the end, uh, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the Federation arrives and you're like, what, what, what just happened here? Like this, now we're in a sci-fi thing. Like, <laughs> well, exactly. Right. I mean, but, and, and you could always, you know, I mean, there's a risk to this, right? Like if you were playing a Deadlands campaign and you've gone through the flood and you've gone through a bunch of homebrew stuff, um, you know, dropping the, you guys are actually programs and, and the bad guys or the good guys that you've been playing with are actually real people um, would fundamentally alter the reality of that game, probably in a way that you couldn't go back without retconning and saying, okay, this didn't happen. But I mean, it, you know, it would be an interesting way at the end of a campaign to kind of, you could, you know, you could greatly alter the trajectory. If you wanted to go from Deadlands to last parsec, you could drop this bomb on your players. I mean, almost instantaneously, um, you know, find out that, you are, in fact, on a hollow deck in a space station um, five centuries past when you think you live. I was going to bring up the hollow deck, too. That was that's that, the great yeah, minds think alike. You know, it's like it reminds me of Neuromancer. The, uh, you know, if you played, because I always felt like uh, Shadowrun should kind of be where there a lot of it should take place in virtual reality, where if you're a hacker or something, what does that virtual reality really look like? Or yeah. What do you have to do in virtual reality? And it's just such a cool idea that's ripe for exploration. You know, all of these different ideas are so cool. Yeah, and, and the thing is, like, I, 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 these these are media properties that I love. I mean, I, I I think Inception is one of the top five movies of all time, and my. You know, personal estimation. We talked um, about this, Chris. I I lose some some geek cred because I've never seen Inception. I know we need to we need to rectify this. The um, <laughs> lots of problems every time we meet. We're either doing shows or playing games, so there's not time for movies. Well, I've I've heard that uh, I've heard Inception is is really uh, deep and trippy, and you have to watch it uh, more than once to even get it. 
Yeah, if you if you really want to get it, but there, I mean, there's on the the, the uh, shallow reading is, is still pretty exciting. Like the, I, I'm still surprised, and, and maybe one day I'll get around to doing this. But we've had so many projects that I've been running games for our cons instead. I think Inception kind of on its own would make a great con game because in a four hour slot you could do two or three different, very different scenarios. And like the way Inception works is the. Um, one of the levels in the in this this dream within a dream is a perfect bond film there's you know a mountain snowy landscape there's a, a military-esque fort there are faceless bad guys on motor scooters i would call them uh, snowmobiles with machine guns you know or submachine guns <laughs> so and, I, sorry one sec so I, I all i'm picturing is is dumb and dumber guys on Vespas in the mountains. <laughs> I know you meant snowmobiles. You said scooters. I'm just thinking Vespas in the mountains yeah. in the middle of winter. Ciao. <laughs> just go ahead. Yeah, that just was, go ahead. Are, you could we run that game. Right? We are in Colorado. Yeah, yes, we are in Colorado, <laughs> and they've certainly made something legal here recently that would uh, aid in the strange, weird, not necessarily all their cognitively people on motorsports uh, in the mountains. Um, this is we could run this game, uh, but like you know, the I was thinking like you know a, a fun con game could be an Inception style game where in the movie there are different layers, and 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 the more deep you get, the more the less gr- grounded by reality you are. So the the first layer is a very regular city and there's a, a cocktail party kind of atmosphere and then they go deeper and and as you get deeper the in the third layer there um you know this kind of fantastical superhero definitely pulpy um adventure sport kind of 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 theme to it and you could do that in 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 a con game it'd be fun where your your characters you you kind of have a character sheet that was your person your real person and then for each le- level you go deeper let's say three big encounters, three big, you know, missions or, or things to do during your four hour slot. Um, you'd get a slight lens to put on, on top of your base character. Um, it would just alter some of your abilities. It give you some new skills you wouldn't have in any other three scenarios. It might change your your base attributes a little bit here and there. It certainly change your equipment, but essentially you're the same person, but just a different dream version of them. And yeah. you could you could do a an Indiana Jones style, you know, uh, or Mission Impossible style event. You could do a horror, you know, investigative Cthulhu style event, and you know, a third genre, whether it's you know mixed martial arts or whether it's corporate espionage, or um, you could really do three different flavors in this one Inception um, convention slot. See, the reason I think that's so good is because there's so many great ideas out there from Savage Worlds, and you're almost like, oh, my God, I want to play that so bad, but I also want to play this, but I also want to play this. And it's yeah. like every time you turn around, somebody's coming out with a really, really cool idea that you just want to play. And this is like a perfect vehicle to get in that Jones of playing, you know, three different Deadlands or Riffs and then, you know, uh, last parsec in one setting almost. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and cool. Rifts kind of scratches part of that itch in the sense that you definitely bring multiple dimensions together. Um, and so that, that's part of the meta game in Rifts is that you you, you have these convergence of worlds. Um, the uh, But in Rifts, I mean, they all exist in the same present. 
Um, and so you kind of have to deal with, you know, how, how would they interact and, and, you know, what, what would it be like to have Mecha in the exact same place as you'd have magic? Whereas in Inception, they're, they're linked, but they're, they are discreet. And so a different sort of kind of metagaming um, would be fun. So I, I think an Inception Con game would be a lot of fun. And Savage Worlds, like you said, David, really appeals to this sort of play. And I'm surprised no one's done this yet. Uh, because What it sounds like to me is that uh, you're going to have to make this happen at Tacticon. So we'll have an Inception-type game at Tacticon, and then we'll have David's uh, competitive Savage Worlds at Tacticon. We will blow up Tacticon. Yes, yes. Yeah, and so that, really, the, the part of the reason that I came up with that was that I wanted to have uh, um, playing in different horror genres across time. So, like, one of the levels is set in ancient, in Britain, in uh, Roman-era Britain. The conquest, where you have the Celtic races with their, you know, magic and, and monsters, but then you can jump through time, and on another level, you're playing, uh, you know, against uh, you're a conquistador in Central America fighting a horde of zombies, uh, you know, that are Aztec, zomb- uh, or not zombies, uh, skeleton warriors that are resurrected. So the theme across it all is horror, but it's all undead minions of some. Uh, like boss almost. Uh, oh yeah, well, and, exactly. So you're jumping through time, playing all these different horror settings. You know, That's yeah, kind you, of you, you, I wanted to do it. You know, you can like you know, and the, the way Savage Worlds facilitates that is you know, you pick up Weird Wars Rome for the first one, you pick up uh, Solomon Kane for the second one. You want to bring it exactly. forward a, a century, and you could do Rippers for Victorian horror. Um, you know, you could, that, that, you know, there, there are systems there that you can just strip for, you know, monsters and rules and, um, flavor, uh, to kind of do your, your metagaming with. So, um, so yeah, so the inception is definitely kind of a one shot kind of deal. Um, and then like Westworld's like a, a very kind of different one where you've got, you know, it would definitely derail a campaign, but I think it'd be fun with, um, if you were bringing one, one kind of campaign to a close, uh, a way for people to k- still connect with their characters, but reimagine them in a radically different kind of reality. Um, kind of the way, I mean, both Matrix and Westworld kind of do this, where um, you know, and it would kind of allow you to, I mean, uh, in Westworld, there's kind of one reality. You kind of, you, you, you've gone from being, you know, you're a, you're a construct, you're a program, and suddenly you're, you know, you've gained self-awareness on a whole new level and you realize that, that, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you fight for your quote unquote humanity when you're not, you know, a skin bag human, you're actually a host. Um, and that, that, that'd be an interesting, you know, from one campaign to another, um, or matrix where you kind of have this, um, awakening, you know, you know, and you could play matrix where, you know, in any kind of campaign, obviously the way matrix, the matrix movie was, it'd be more like shadow run kind of cyberpunky, you know, he was a programmer and all that kind of stuff in the real world. And then you kind of zoom out into this meta kind of, um, civil war esque struggle between humans and machines. And, um, but yeah, and that, that, you know, those, those would be kind of, You've, you've, you're running from one campaign to a very different campaign, but you kind of can have this this crossover with your character, um, which I think would be kind of fascinating to, to to change your reality from one to the other. So yeah, my, my the interesting thing for me with what you just said is is that a lot of times 
um, people get attached to their characters. And when you're jumping from campaign setting to campaign setting, and they're always having to create new characters, this would give them that opportunity to stay with the character for a while and really flesh it out and really get to the meat of what that character is all about uh, instead of, you know, flip-flopping from character to character to character every time uh, a new shiny comes out and Chris wants to change what we're playing. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and I mean, and to taking this to a meta-meta level, um, I think a lot of players, when they role-play, or a lot of people, when they role-play, role-play an avatar of themselves. Um, that there's some aspect of their own psyche that they put into their characters that they want to work on or explore or enjoy, um, and that it's it's a it's a rare occasion when people will connect with a character they're playing that is truly so different from themselves that you know, it couldn't be in some way considered an avatar of yourself, you know, a better version of some or a fantastical version, and. In, in that regard, you, you you know you can play into that. You are scratching that itch by allowing someone to take their you know Westworld, um, Deadlands esque avatar and put them 500 years in the future into a Last Parsec style game, or to take them into a kind of a fantasy direction, or um, or whatever. And um, yeah, you know, I, I think and, and there there are so many properties which kind of do this. I mean, you know, Assassin's Creed is an interesting series of video games which. Uh, there's a movie coming out and very similar kind of idea where um, a modern sensibility, but you're you're going back into the past to do things you couldn't do in the modern world. You, you know, openly kill people in the streets. Um, and yet there's a kind of an interesting play there between the modern fluff where it's still the modern version of the Templars and the assassins, you know, duking it out for behind the scenes control or whatever. Uh, and then you kind of go back and, and relive history's greatest hits. Um, and, and they, they use technology, the Abstergo machine or whatever it is to, um, transport you kind of in a very similar way that the matrix uses jacking in and jacking out, um, of the matrix, uh, to, to, as yeah, an excuse. And, and, uh, you, you could play in a, uh, a Caribbean pirate, uh, you know, setting, or you can go play in Italy during the Renaissance, or you know, all the different settings of Assassin's Creed are just like really cool places you want to role play in. Exactly, and that's kind of the thing is you know you, you you get to change the window dressing and the sorts of things you can you can do culturally, um, but you can also maintain. I mean, that's the thing is like, do you if I want to play Assassin's Creed? And 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 the, the time periods they picked are kind of time periods that are um, window dressingly very interesting. I mean, you know, the they they picked you know Renaissance Europe, Florence in particular. Um, they picked uh, uh, revolutionary America. Um, they picked the you know, the Spanish kind of um, the Spanish main kind of area for pirates. Those are areas where you know. You can still do all of the wonderful things you do with role playing, but in very different kind of interesting human historical realms that are different than the typical fantasy realm. Where, I mean, there are just so many Tolkien esque fantasy settings that you're basically playing in some version of Tolkien, whereas, um, you know, there aren't. And I, I've asked this question a lot, and that's kind of why I'm working on a historically themed game. Uh, myself is that the, you know history is stranger than fiction a lot of times, and there are these very evocative, fun historical time periods. 
Um, why not play in them? Why why do we always need to you know accept elves and dwarves into our our role playing? Um, and a lot of people say will say, well, because history is not as interesting, but it is in these time periods. I mean, these are kind of specifically interesting time periods that involve geopolitical you know, geopolitics, revolutions, change, the ability for people to adventure and do crazy things, whether it's violence or poli- you know, politics or discovery um, that are very fun. And um, so I, I think, you know, metagaming in a sense allows you to bring in metagaming in this sense replaces to me the fantasy elements. Um, whereas you might not be able to have magic and the power granted to you by high fantasy role playing. But if you add a metagame level of technology or awareness, um, or, or I think, Chris, what really intrigued me by when we were talking on the phone one time was when you were talking about politics and intrigue. And you really, it's kind of the difference between Tolkien and then, you know, the um, Game of Thrones. Where in Game of Thrones, there's the, the magic and all that is not so overt and always present. What's more interesting about it is all the political intrigue and, uh, you know, the, the backstabbing and plotting and machinations going on. And and as you explained your idea to me, that's what really jumped out at me. It's like, man, the metagame involved in this is how am I going to strategize my political, um, you know, power or my influence that I have on the people around me as I go forward? How am I going to grow in power and have minions at my disposal that can go do all of my intrigue and everything yeah exactly and and and, you know the whereas you know in a fantasy setting it might not be as interesting i mean you could definitely do i mean there are systems that, 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 that kind of go for that gap um a lot of times magic itself and certain spells can completely undo the the dynamic tensions you have in politics. I mean, if you can detect lies perfectly, or you can read people's minds, or you can create scarce items out of other components, um, you can kind of undo what normal humans think of as politics. You know, a lot of times politics comes down to, you know, uh, like, like the you know assassination and information side of politics. Those are very much about controlling information and controlling power. That. If you allow fantastical elements to a really high degree, um, kind of undo what those things, you know, in the real world. And that's kind of why, um, you know, like prophecy, if you have if you had prophecy that was pure prophecy that you could cast a spell and predict the future or scrying or lie detection, a lot of the kind of plots we're used to in our own fiction, whether it's, you know, Game of Thrones kind of plots or whether it's, um you know, the Borgias or the Medicis or Sopranos or House of Cards. I mean, those kind of intriguing, politically oriented dramas. Um, you, know, you know, a lot of people watch House of Cards. I know yeah, Chris has watched it. The, um, if, you, if you think about, you know, a very modern telling, think about how much of the, the bad stuff that goes on is about getting information that people don't have and suppressing information from other people getting. Um, that's very Machiavellian, very Renaissance backstabbery, Assassin's Creed kind of stuff, um, but played out in a very modern setting. And, um, you know, if you had certain magics, um, you'd have to be very careful on how they were used because they would undo 
all of the kind of tension and discovery that, um, you know, those kind of you know, dramas hinge on and what makes them fun to play. Um, so, you know, same kind of reason that a lot of games like, you know, if you think of like Cthulhu, it, it, w- to me, I'm always like, if you had a submachine gun, why couldn't you kill Cthulhu? I mean, right, why, exactly. why, why, how did Cthulhu not evolve to to, you know, to, to, to to not die from 50 caliber shells coming at him, you know, several hundred you know, a minute? And so in, in one game, I ran a one but shot. Yeah, you but know. yeah, a, a boat's prowl can, uh, you know, deflate him and send him back to the deep. Exactly. So, yeah, yeah, true, right? And so, so that was kind of one of the things where I ran a one shot where I'm like, yeah, I'm I'm gonna stat up Cthulhu, and if you want to drop the nuke on him, you kill him because I'm sorry, it doesn't mean it matter if he's an old god. You know, nukes are powerful, um, but you know that's not, not that's, not, that's not the fun of those systems. The fun of those systems have to remove the threat of automatic weapons and automation, whatever, from you know, destroying the, the old gods or whatever, because that's the fun is the idea that you are going to go insane. You are going to get, you know, the best you can hope for is kind of to break even and, and give some hope to the, maybe the next generation or maybe, maybe put the, the, the demon back into its, its other, other realm for a while. Um, but your, your character's going to be left scarred and, and mentally and physically. And that's kind of what those games are. So likewise, I think you have to put away some of the, magical powers that we are used to in fantasy to run a political intrigue kind of game because you know sense true motive uh, as a spell could ruin an entire campaign an entire plot with a one spell and one good roll so you know that's just something you'd have to disallow if you wanted to explore how do we know if the the king is making us a good offer or, or if if you know our enemies are truly our enemies or our friends are truly our friends if you had those kind of spells right. you, ju- you just you just take the arcane backgrounds off the table you know i've always thought you said you mentioned something about cthulhu i've always said that uh you know when i play cthulhu if my characters is not going sane the gm was not doing his job exactly right yeah that's kind of how those games are supposed <laughs> to play play out and um you know if, if you if you turn the sound off and the lights on for horror films they're actually kind of boring right right you know? exactly so you have to have buy-in and um and that's kind of a metagame thing too i mean like like if we consider that like premature imagination is that you're buying in too much and, and expecting results i think it's another kind of metagaming uh tip is that you know, buy into the flavor of the game your GM's running, um, or or else you can easily. I mean, you you could really deflate any kind of of narrative intrigue or interest that a GM is creating if you don't buy into the the assumptions of the setting. You know, if you yeah, say I completely oh, agree. Yeah, I think uh, you know you have to do that because, and that's something that that. We talk a lot about. Uh, I don't know if we've talked about it on on our show, but uh, the other the other show that I'm on, we talk about, it, and that's having a good session zero. Uh, you know, that could be a, a whole other episode. Uh, but but you know, g- saying from the very beginning, this is what we're going to play. Having that buy in, having that discussion with your players, and then going with that conceit. Uh, the best example that I that I always give is I was running. Um, Deadlands Noir. And in running Deadlands Noir, I gave uh, all the players, I said, you guys have to have a reason for working for this particular uh, detective agency. And, you know, think about your characters that way. And one of the players came back to me and said, well, I'm going to play an assassin. Well, I should have said no. 
why is an assassin necessarily working for the law for a detective agency so you know having that buy-in and, and getting that from the players is really important especially in what you're talking about i think yeah, well, I, th- I think we've uh, we've we've done at least a, a precursory circle around these kind of ideas. I think so. we have. That, I think that was a really really good discussion. Yeah, if you guys, if our audience out there, if you have any other ideas on how to add a meta level of uh, intrigue or politics or plot or character identity to your games, uh, whether they're one shots or campaigns, um, hit us up with comments on our Facebook or on our G Plus. Send us some email at uproar at savagecast.com. If you guys are interested in uh, checking out David Garrett's awesome um, meta concept of a tournament, a competitive Savage Worldsness, uh, we will have links to David Garrett's uh, email and contact on uh, G+. And, um, yeah, other than that, um, send us your comments, and uh, we'll be happy to have David back again, hopefully, uh, to talk more about his setting. Or, uh, hey, just chime in on any other kind of cool um Colorado Savage Worlds yeah, happening. Thank you so much, David, for coming on. I, I really appreciate hey, you coming on. Yeah, thanks a lot for uh, having me on, guys, and uh, uh, really appreciate it. And thanks, Christopher Landauer, for um, really uh, helping me work out some of the kinks with it. I really appreciate it. You're always uh, so interesting to talk to. Yeah, so we'll, we'll have to be sure to have you on, uh, if not before Tacticon, and certainly uh, maybe after Genghis, we can have a um, what it's like to be introduced to the the, the royalty of Savage Worlds uh, perspective from David, <laughs> and uh, we'll see how uh, what Shane and, and uh, Ed have to say about your concept, and uh, what you thought of our conventions here. So, yeah, so thanks a lot everybody for listening, and I, I think we'll take this call this a wrap, and we'll see you next month. Yes, happy Queen Cynthia for uh, the Savage Cast. Thank you for listening to the Savage Cast. You can find our show on our website, www.savagecast.com, or on iTunes. Just search Savage Cast RPG Podcast. While you're there, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can email the show at uproar at savagecast.com, savagemommy at savagecast.com, or savagebull at savagecast.com. You can find us on Facebook. Just search Facebook backslash savagecastrpg. You can find us on G+. And on Twitter at SavageCast. Thank you again for listening to the SavageCast, and we hope to hear from you soon.